disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light. Hi there. My name is Father Thanasios Heros. I'm the dean here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another session of our live stream Bible study on 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Boy, that was a mouthful. If you're new, let me share how that works. So we get together, and according to the homilies of St. John Chrysostom, each session we follow a different homily where he preaches on a particular section of the scriptures, okay? So, for example, tonight is session 18, homily 17. Now, the numbers will always be one off because our session one is not homily one. Our session one is what St. John Chrysostom calls the argument, his laying out why it's important for us to study. So St. John Chrysostom, at the end of the fourth century, when he was teaching these Bible studies, and although they're called homilies, we're fairly certain this particular series are Bible studies, traditional Bible studies. And we can tell the difference because unlike his homilies on the book of Acts and his homilies on the book of Romans, these homilies do not follow the lectionary order, the readings of the day. If you read St. John Chrysostom's homilies on the book of Acts or his homilies on Romans, each homily lines up to particular scripture reading for the readings of the day. So we can tell that these were traditional Bible studies, even though we call them homilies, because they're in his collection of, of readings. So when he was the priest in Antioch, he was teaching this Bible study on 1 Corinthians. The blessing for us is that Corinth, at the time of St. Paul, was very much like our contemporary American society. Multicultural, wealthy, highly educated, and very divided among its people. St. John Chrysostom, at the end of the fourth century, was in Antioch, also a city that was multicultural, highly educated, very wealthy, and divided, just like our contemporary American society. So in our Bible study, we're combining first century St. Paul, 4th century St. John Chrysostom, and 21st century America. And it all has something beneficial for us. So in the study guide, there are two, three sections to every study guide. You see text analysis, the traditional chapter-verse kind of conversation. Then you see life application, because St. John Chrysostom, in almost every single one of his homilies, will take sometimes even just one word or a verse and launch into a moral teaching. So in the study guide, I call that life application. And then we'll, we'll end every Bible study with a send-off, something that's going to challenge us, something that's going to lead us going in between now and our next session. Okay. 
So our next session is a week from now. We're on a good, on a, on a good um, what's the word I'm looking for? A good, a good, on a roll? <laughs> Where we don't have to have too many cancellations right now. We do have a cancellation coming on September 20th, but, so we'll meet next week, but then not the meet after, and then meeting, and then not a meeting, and then so we'll go back and forth for a little while, but we'll do our best. We'll do our best. There are 44 homilies for 1 Corinthians, and we're only at homily 17, and we are in our third year of producing this series. Uh, it's just been difficult because, you know, this happens and then that happens, and then I have a meeting and I can't teach, or I have to go out of town and I can't teach, so we're doing the best we can. It's my goal to, to, to push all the way through it. So if you have not yet downloaded the study guide, please see my website at liveanewlifeinchrist.org. Press the Bible Studies button and you'll see all the different sessions coming up for 1 Corinthians. And click on session 18. You'll see a link there for the study guide. And since you're already watching this, I presume you already found the link for the video. <laughs> if you're watching this not live, feel free to go back to the website liveanewlifeinchrist.org and you can binge watch yours truly. And by the end of tonight, there'll be 18 hours of Bible study on 1 Corinthians. 18 hours of just my face, which might drive some people crazy. I don't know. All right. Uh, on YouTube, and you have to be watching on the YouTube platform, so you can't be watching anyplace else, we do have the ability for live chat. And our live chat room moderator is brilliant. She's talented. She's educated. She's beautiful. She's a great cook. She's incredibly patient being my wife. But Ezra Devasi is our chat room moderator. So she's in the room. She used to be at home. Now she's in the room. My son Harry is behind the camera as our production engineer. And so it's a family affair. It's, it's kind of fun. So Presbyteria may or may not be chiming in through her microphone, uh, bringing up some questions maybe from, from, the, from the live chat. Speaking of microphones, if you're going to speak something, if you're going to ask a question or when it's your turn to read, <coughs> make sure the microphone comes good and close to your mouth. The closer to your mouth, the less echo it brings from the whole room, because this is a big, giant room we're in. And so if you talk, it'll hear you, but there'll be a lot of other echo going on that we don't, that we don't want to have for those watching at home. I talked about the chat room. I talked about the microphones. I talked about the study guide. Tonight's session 18 is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Only a handful of verses, but a whole lot there. A whole lot there. So it's... It's getting very exciting. Okay, so, Presbytera, why don't you let us know who's watching online? We have online um, Alexandra from Juliet, Joseph from Sydney, Australia, and we have Ray and Jane from Lando Lakes, Florida. I have a free... Oh. Oh. And Sandra from Thailand. Sandra from Thailand. <laughs> and I have a free giveaway tonight. Oh. oh, 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 I sure do. Okay. So, 
Many years ago, a very dear friend of mine, his father makes, he's a woodworker, and he made these beautiful hand wooden, handmade wooden crosses. Okay? So, I have two tonight. One for someone in the room, and one for someone who participates in the live chat. But you have to participate in the live chat to be eligible. So Presbyteria is going to keep track of everyone participating in the live chat. And before the end of Bible study, we will draw a name of someone watching online for our free giveaway. And then we have another one we'll give away to somebody here in the room tonight. So I'm giving away prizes. I'm giving away prizes. All right. I think that's it, right? We got everything? We have a, we have a last minute joiner from the Hoosier State, John John. Oh, well. The well, Hoosier State, that's Indiana, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's go to our prayer and let's begin. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with your fathers without beginning in your all-holy good and life-giving spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Okay, we have already picked out our reader for tonight. She was voluntold, not by me, by the way. She got the message hours earlier today by th through her sister from somebody else, but we won't get into those details. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12, 13, and 14. Just three verses for tonight. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immortality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also rise us up by his power." in there okay all right so you'll see on the study guide you'll see section numbers right that has nothing to do with the scriptures it is just a way for you to find the excerpts in the homily okay so the producers of the homily have created sections of the homily what I'll do is I'll bring out various points and if you want to see where they are in the homily, that's why I have them by section number. It has nothing to do with the scriptures at all. It's just how the editor has arranged the homily, okay? As a reminder, it's always good, especially for those of you watching online, you'll get the most out of this by reading the homily in advance, right? You read the scripture, you read the homily in advance, sometimes once or twice. Because all I'm doing is I'm pulling out bits and pieces of it. There's so much more breadth in the homily. So we'll get started. So in section one, okay, point number one that I'm going to make, there is a good reason for fasting. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. 
Here he glances at the gluttons, for since he intends to assail the fornicator again, and fornication arises from luxuriousness and want of moderation, he strongly chastises this passion. So even St. John Chrysostom is making a connection along with St. Paul to gluttony and how it affects other sins, okay? specifically our physical sins. So you see immediately we have a benefit and a blessing that comes from fasting. Point number two, gluttony is physical slavery. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. What then is the meaning of meats for the belly? Meats, he says, are on good terms with gluttony and it with them. It cannot therefore lead us unto Christ, but drags towards these. For it is a strong and brutal passion and makes us slaves and puts us under ministering to the belly. Now, if you go back and read the homily again, or maybe more in context, he specifically, I just want to point this out, that he makes the point that the belly is not specifically the physical stomach. When Chrysostom is using the word belly here, he's talking about that, that urge, that passion, that, that drive, not just the physical stomach that has the contents of the food when we're eating. And he makes that point in his homily. But, all right, so gluttony is physical slavery. Point number three, our entire being is meant to follow Christ. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. And therefore he subjoins, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. For it was not formed for this purpose, to live riotously and commit fornication, as neither was the belly to be greedy, but that it might follow Christ as a head, and that the Lord might be set over the body. Right? So, and again, we're only reading three verses tonight, but there's so much there to grasp. And if you remember, just to remind everyone from last week, we talked about how St. Paul is almost speaking with exasperation because he had, he had talked about this stuff to them before, and yet they were still engaged in these behaviors. So we're going to see in the next few homilies, when you read ahead for next week, he really comes down hard on some of this stuff. And I think you get that sense of St. Paul and the sense of St. John Chrysostom of, look, we're beating this stuff over our heads. Why do we have to cut up over and over and over again? So you'll see that kind of theme repeating itself. All right, section number two in the homily, point number four in our study guide. Our future resurrection is the prize. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. You have eaten past drunk to excess, and what is the result? Nothing save only destruction. You have conjoined unto Christ, and what is the result? A great and marvelous thing, the future resurrection, that glorious one, and transcending all utterance. I think what's cool about this point and why I brought it forth for the study is this. It's, it's so easy when we see the path of destruction what all these other sins lead to. But it can be difficult for us to see the prize. 
A, the prize is not immediate. But B, the prize is something spiritual. And so Chrysostom and St. Paul are reminding us of the prize to give us that incentive because they know that it's easy for us to see the now, but we can't easily see the, the future. And that's why I wanted to bring it here because it's, we, we sometimes need that extra oomph to push us over the finish line, right? And so I think here we're getting that look. There's, there is a prize. The prize is our future resurrection, as opposed to the penalty, which is just destruction, right? All these other sins just simply lead to destruction. They don't lead to anything good. All right, section number three, point number five. The power of God is proven by the impossibility of the past. I think what's cool about this, just, just a parenthesis, what you're going to see if, you're re if you become like me and really begin to love St. John Chrysostom, you will begin to appreciate how rich his theology is and how much he can just draw out from these texts, even if it's a few words of Scripture. Right? And then this one right here, the power of God is proven by the impossibility of the past. Listen to exactly what he says. For the things which are already past are stranger by far and fraught with overpowering wonder. Just consider, he took earth and mixed it and made man, earth which existed not before this. How then did the earth become man? And how was it produced from nothing? And how all the things that were made from it? I mean, that is, it, that shows his power. Because we are, we can witness all these things that God already did. And we know just how powerful, because, and if you look further in the sermon, yeah, we can build, we'll make something contemporary, yeah, you know, Elon Musk can make the Tesla, which is brilliant engineering and this and that. But can Elon Musk make the Tesla from nothing? Right? Even the wonderful things that we do as human beings are done from something that's given to us already. Whether it's some physical substance or this or that. So he, he's sharing that because I think that gives us the ability to put some belief and trust in God, right? Because he has expressed his power in the things he's already accomplished for us. Point number six, and this is something that I think is a good point for us, especially in our contemporary, some would say post-Christian world. Using creation to prove God's power is for unbelievers. <clears throat> Listen to what Chrysostom says here. These things and such, like we say to the Greeks, for to those who are beating to the scriptures, I have no occasion to speak at all. In other words, for those of us who already believe in God, we're not amazed at all about creation because we already believe in him. The point he's making here is to bring these points of the past up in order to have the conversation with the unbeliever. Right? Oh, yeah, really? Can you make something from nothing? Yeah, you can make, you know, 
but it has to be, the parts have to be given to you, then you assemble it. Can you make this? Can you make that? Yes. A man and a woman make a life, make a child, right? But not from nothing, right? Only God can do that. And someone who's having an honest conversation can at least come to an agreement that at minimum, it's an unknown wonder how it took place. Why are there thousands of scientists dwelling on how the universe was created? Because everyone universally accepts that it's a wonder, that it's an unknown, that something with amazing power did it. We know that to be God. And the footnote that I made here was that this is a good starting point for us in our evangelism when we're going on the street, as they say, and beginning a conversation with someone. We don't start presuming faith. We find something common that we can agree to, right? And from there, we have a point of common departure. I think that's the, the benefit here. But he even says, for the believers, I have no even, no even reason to speak. So it gives us both how to speak to non-believers and how to speak to believers. Does that make sense for everybody? Yeah? Okay. Point number seven. The devil is the one who wants us not to believe. Chrysostom says this, Do not then disbelieve the resurrection. For this, Maria, you were, you were showing me this before we started. For this is the doctrine of the devil. This is what the devil is earnest for. Not only that the resurrection may be disbelieved, but good works may also may be done away with. For the man who does not accept that he shall rise again and give an account of the things which he has done, will not quickly apply himself to virtue. Right? So again, what's our prize? Our prize is the resurrection. But in this particular paragraph, Chrysostom is, is reminding us that the resurrection is also our punishment. In the resurrection, we will be judged. And this is why the devil so desperately wants us to not believe in the resurrection. Because if we don't believe that we're going to be judged, then we have no incentive to live the virtuous life. We have no incentive to believe. We have no incentive to be better than we were yesterday, right? And so this, what is our prize is also our punishment. Now, I will extend this to say that's how we understand heaven and hell. Again, and I've said this, I've said this before, we don't believe in heaven up here for the good people and hell down here for the bad people. Being in heaven is being with and in the presence of God for all eternity. Okay? And we're going to be resurrected. We're going to be with Him for all eternity. In our judgment and in our desire to be with God and in our humility and in our repentance, being resurrected in His presence is heaven. It is the prize. 
If, on the other hand, we are resurrected in the judgment because we do not want to be resurrected with him, we do not want to repent, now being resurrected in his presence becomes our hell, becomes our punishment. So the resurrection is crucial. And that's what the devil is so against us believing in it. And that's also why, if you go all the way back to St. Athanasius, who talks about the, 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 my words, brilliant move of God. The scripture calls it the fullness of time. Christ was crucified in the most public way on the most public day, in the most public city, in front of the, in front of the entire world, so to speak. And there was no doubt that he was dead on the cross. So that when he is resurrected, now there's something to believe in, right? And that's the, that's the brilliance of what God has done here, is that he made the belief possible because we cannot deny that Christ was dead on the cross, right? Why do we have contemporary Christians who already like to say, well, he didn't really die on the cross and this and that. All this wish-washiness, is that a real word? Wishy-washiness, is that, okay? Is to, because anything that questions that belief, now we lose our own incentive to the, to the repentance and to the good behavior. I think it's really a, a profound moment. Okay, final point before we move on to our life application. Those who deny the resurrection deny the future judgment. Chrysostom says this, Thus, when you deny resurrection and judgment, the other for his part will say, then shall I also not have to render account for my, whole, for my bold deeds? Right? I got nothing to worry about. Whether I do this, whether I do that, whether I live good, whether I live evil, it doesn't matter. Right? Those people who say, once life is over, life's over, what does it matter? Right? Then there's no incentive. There's no nothing. There's, there's, there's it. But with the resurrection, now I'm going to be held accountable to something. Now... I've got some incentive, okay? I don't like to use the word fear because I don't like to f f scare people into heaven. Um, but let's face it, the resurrection is both our prize and our punishment, okay? And that's why it's so important for us to believe it, and that's why, Chris, uh, that's why St. Paul talks about it here, right? He says... Um, he talks about immorality. immorality. He talks about in Christ we will be, and who will raise us up by his power, right? Again, there's that power. If God can do all of this creation from nothing, then he has the power to raise us up. And if we're going to be raised up, well, we better do something different. We better behave properly, right? That's the context there. Okay. So that, that is the traditional, what I call the traditional chapter-verse kind of stuff. We have a question from the chat room? Go ahead. Ray wants to know, if resurrection without faith and repentance is to be eternal misery, even though being with God, 
Why is there reference to a hell with demons and fire in other parts of the Bible that don't say, mention being in the presence of God? Good question. Good question. So the hell and the fire is an internal condition, is not a physical place. Okay. Um, I think any one of us can probably remember a moment where we were so filled with anger that it felt like a fire within us, right? And a variety of other emotions where we're totally consumed by this passion. So the hellfire, so to speak, as opposed to being the cauldron of boiling oil, is our hearts reacting to the reality in front of us. Right, And what we call judgment in the church is not as we would imagine a judge saying, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. But God confirming the true state of our heart. So the judgment, while it is an act of God, is not forced upon us per se, it is merely an acknowledgement of the condition of our heart. And technically speaking, that is also what happens in a court of law. I remember a judge, when I was a young boy, came to speak to us in Goya. And this man was a very, very holy man. His wife was my Sunday school teacher and really a great guy, and he was a judge. In thinking I was a smarty pants, I said, how can you be a Christian and judge people? We're not supposed to judge. He goes, that's a very good question. He says, my job as a judge is merely to determine the truth of whether or not someone did something. That's what I judge. I don't condemn them. I don't say they're good people. I don't say they're bad people. I merely confirm the facts of what they have done. And ultimately, that's what God does with us. He confirms the reality of our hearts. We either love God and everything about Him, or we hate God and everything about Him, right? And so that, that fire ray, that fire is what burns inside of us because if we don't love God, witnessing his love and witnessing that sometimes almost even eternal regret. Can you imagine, can you imagine getting to heaven and having the eternal feeling of, oh my God, I had it wrong the whole time. That would consume you because that would be an eternal condition that would burn you from the inside. Not like a cauldron of fire, but it would take over, you know. And that's what hell is. Hell is this, it can, you know, it, it can be this anger, it can be this vengeance, it can be all sorts of different things, these passions that we're struggling with. It can be, can you believe that jerk is in heaven? Can you imagine going through all eternity with that emotion? Can you believe that person got in? Now, we're going to see that person whether we like it or not. 
If it's, if it's hell, we're saying, can you believe that person got into heaven? If it's heaven, we're like, can you believe that person got in? Isn't that great? Isn't God amazing? Exact same fact, different heart condition. Right? I hope that answers Ray's question. Okay. So, moving on to our life application, right? Because, as I like to say, even if we memorize the scriptures, if it does not somehow change the way we live, it is a useless exercise. So St. John Chrysostom launches into these moral teachings. Our editors don't do us any favors in terms of how to decide when he starts the new teaching other than they change, normally change the section number. <laughs> okay? So for our sake, the life application starts at section 4 of the homily. I am titling the life application section, Mortality is not the problem, it is the cure. Mortality is not the problem, it is the cure. So let's go to slide number one, which for us on our study guide is point number nine on the study guide. So for those watching at home, the slide goes up on the screen so they can actually read it along with us. If there is no future, then today is meaningless. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. If, on the contrary, there is to be no future life, we are in this respect of far meaner account than the things which have been made for our sakes. For both the heaven and the earth and the sea and the rivers are more lasting than we are. And some even of the brutes, since the raven and the race of elephants and many other creatures have a longer enjoyment of the present life. To us, moreover, life is both short and toilsome, but not to them. Theirs is both long and freer from grief and cares. I mean, right? They don't call him Chrysostom for nothing, right? I mean, just in that exchange, the animal kingdom, which has no soul, they're not going to be resurrected, they live basically simple, simple lives, with the exception of having to run for their life if they're, if, they're being, if they're being eaten by a predator. But beyond that, they really live pretty cool lives, right? No other stress. The birds keep looking for food or whatever, right? And some of these creatures live, way outlive human beings. And yet their life ends. We, who have probably more toilsome life on earth, but our earthly portion is very short. Not as short as a fly, which is like one day, I guess, but hey. But we have all eternity waiting for us. So his point is, right, if there is no future, then today is meaningless. If there is no resurrection, if there is no heaven, if there is no kingdom of God, then today is pretty meaningless. Then we may as well be like the cockroach running down the street, which is stomped on and, then, and, and life simply ends. <coughs> right? It makes, it makes our life pretty meaningless. And again, Chris is not saying this not to get us down on ourselves, but to give us inspiration to something greater. Because do any of us in this room want that meaningless of a life? 
Do you want to be like a cockroach who walks down the street? Ironically, right? The cockroaches who can survive nuclear war. We can't, but the cockroach can, right? And yet we search for something more because we don't want this to be all there is. All right. On the study guide point number 10, I, we just discovered right before we started that we have no slide for at home on point number 10. So just go back to the camera. For, oh, you already did that? Okay. Hey, see that? I have to say, my production engineer here is doing a great job. Let's give him a round of applause. I don't even have to tell him to go to the next slide. He's already moving on to the next thing, right? So. He gets it uh, that you don't, well, but you're always telling me what to do. All right. Okay, so point number 10. Sorry at home, there's no slide, but if you have the study guide, it's point number 10. Before the fall, meaning what happened in the Garden of Eden, Adam knew and understood God more than we do. This was really interesting for me to read what Chrysostom's point was here. Listen to what he says. Adam had no need either of a garment or a shelter or any other provisions of this sort, but rather was like to the angels, and many of the things to come he foreknew and was filled with great wisdom. Even what God did in secret he knew, I mean with regard to the woman. Wherefore also he said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Labor came into being afterwards, so did sweat, so did shame and cowardice and want of confidence. I think it's really cool just to point out that before the fall, Adam knew God better than we did. And yet he still screwed it up. <laughs> Chris doesn't say that I say that part. Yet he still screwed it up. Okay. And so this is why, for example, St. Athanasius even suggests that Adam and Eve were not yet perfect. They had not yet reached their potential. And that St. Athanasius actually says, and the church teaches, that Christ would have taken on human flesh anyway, even if Adam and Eve had not disobeyed in the garden. Because we were not yet complete in our creation, we were still growing in the likeness of God, right? Okay, slide number three. Huh? But he wouldn't have had to die. He would not have had to die if we didn't screw up in the garden, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so slide number three, point number 11 on our study guide. We all sin. Repeat after me. We all sin. Chrisom, what then says one am I to do? Must I perish on his account? I reply first, it is not on his account, for neither have you remained without sin, though it not be the same sin, at least there is some other which you have committed. <laughs> it's like, now again, think back to 1 Corinthians and St. Paul is talking about fornication, he's talking about all this sexual immorality and you know, he's really hitting these hard sins. And so Christum said, like, lest you think you don't have anything to worry about, maybe you didn't sin that way, but there's something you did, right? We all sin. And sometimes I think, I don't, I don't remember if I said this last week or not, 
one thing I love about being Orthodox is that A, we all sin, and B, all sin is sin. And that's a much more comfortable place to be with God than to panic over, this is a bad sin, this is not so bad sin, this is an okay sin. But that's the temptation in the West, is they rank all these sins. Now, yeah, some sins are more dangerous because they do more harm to us and they're harder to repent from, but they're still, they're still just sin, right? But repeat after me, we all sin. I should make you all put your microphones on for that one, but I'm not going to do that. Okay, slide number four, point number 12 in our study guide. Our will is to blame. Remember, mortality is not the problem, it is the cure. That is the theme here. Chris says, mortality then is not the cause of sin, accuse it not, but the wicked will is the root of all mischief. For why was not Abel at all the worse for his body? Why are the devils not at all the better for being incorporeal? Oh, wow! Right? I mean, again, Chrysostom, the golden mouth, from these few verses, he's pulling something like this out? Like, before we think that it's this, it's this fallen body, it's, it's, oh, this is why we sin, this is what evil's coming from, we're like, well, wait a minute. The demons don't have a body. They're already immortal, and yet they're evil. I mean, would you have ever come to that conclusion based on this, based on this passage of, of, of St. Of Paul? I mean, this is the beauty that, that he's giving us here. And let's face it, in our 21st century American life, it helps. Because there are so many people out there tempting us, you know, to blame the body and the body. This goes all the way back to Plato, for that matter, where the body was at fault and the soul was trapped by the body and all that kind of thing, right? Well, Chris is saying, look, don't blame the body. Don't blame the more mortality of the human body. Blame the will. Right? The will is something that controls the body. I think it's... However, the body and soul are co-workers in our salvation. Slide number five, point number 13 in our study guide. Our body helps control our will. For if we choose, the body is an excellent bridle to curb the wanton sallies of the soul, to put down haughtiness, to repress arrogance, to minister to us in the greatest achievements of virtue. Now, this is why I began tonight by saying there's a benefit to fasting. If the body is the bridle to the will, learning how to control the body, right? This is this whole connection between the body and the soul. And this is why St. Paul talks about gluttony in the, same, in the same sentence he talks about sexual immorality. This is why St. John Chrysostom is making this connection, right? Because the body is the one that is acting and so it can help the soul in its, uh, in its cure. It is also 
why repentance is impossible after death. Because when the body and soul separate, now there's no longer a synergy possible. Right? And so this is why the two working together, right? It takes body and soul to sin. It takes body and soul to cure, right? To repent. When that separates in death, that's why that makes our condition at the time of our death eternal. The condition of our heart, the condition of our repentance, the state of our this, because we, the body is not there anymore to hold the soul accountable, I guess would be a, a different way to say it. So, that's a lot for three verses of Scripture. And I'm going to suggest, if you have time to go back and read the homily, read it once or twice, because it just, there's, so much, there's so much in there. But it brings us to, unless we have any questions, any questions want to chime in here? We can always, we're a little ahead of schedule tonight, but I did go over last week by six minutes, I think, something like that, right? Give them a chance to... Oh, sorry. Um, you mentioned that repentance is not possible after this life. And that's a big thing to take in all of a sudden. So maybe let's give them a minute to see how they feel about that. <laughs> Even Sandra says, it's a lot to contemplate and meditate on. It's very scary. And this is why... We talk about our resurrection is both our prize and our punishment. Okay? And so leading us into our send-off, I call it here, ignore the devil and learn to control your will. For this is the devil's special work, to make foolish men accuse the body and God and their neighbor rather than their own perverted minds. Lest, having discovered the cause, they get free from the root of the evils. Right? I mean, we will never cease coming up with excuses. Right? And it is as old as Adam and Eve. Right? God says, What happened? Eve blames the devil. And who does Adam blame? Doesn't blame Eve. Adam blames God. The woman you gave to me, she gave me the apple and I ate it. She gave me the fruit. We're always searching for these excuses. And this is the devil whispering in us because until we take responsibility for ourselves, there can be no repentance. Right? And now, the, the heaviness of, we have only this life. Our job is to do it now. It is to struggle now. It is to subdue ourselves now. This is why, you know, I, you're always hearing me from the pulpit in Bible studies, I'm always coming back to fasting. Because fasting is how we learn to control the body. And you see now tonight 
how the body is connected to so many other things. Okay? So, at every turn, it's about fasting. It's about learning self-control. It's a learning about, you know, it's not what I want, it's what God wants. It's not this. It's, it, there's that constant relationship, that constant evaluation going on, okay? And where we are really in a war, we're not even in a war with our bodies. We are in a war with the devil. Because so long as he convinces us that it's a lost battle, ah, don't try stopping, ah, this, ah, that, or it's not even wrong to do. All those little whispers from the devil, right? And this is why I like how he says here, to make foolish men accuse the body and God and their neighbor rather than their own perverted minds. We'll blame everybody but ourselves for our sin, right? And since it's not our fault, why bother repenting? And you put on top of that, if we're not even going to be judged, hey, woohoo, you know, time to party. That brings us to the end. I'm going to give you, see that? I lost six minutes over last time. I'm going to be six minutes under this time. Oh, we have our giveaway. I was going to tell a story. Well, we got to do our giveaway. So, um... One, two, three, there's five of you in the room, so pick a number one to ten. Three. You got it. It was six. So our in-room giveaway for our wooden cross is Maria. Congratulations, Maria. You can pick this up. But is that you ready to give our, our, our online giveaway? Our number six is Joseph in Sydney, Australia. Oh, Joseph in Sydney, Australia. I think Joseph just liked our lesson. Send me via the website your name and mailing address, and we will send your cross to you even in Sydney, Australia. All right. That brings us to the end of another live stream Bible study on 1 Corinthians inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. We will have Bible study next week. It is session 19, homily 18. So please read your homily in advance. So it just, it just brings so much more out in, in our ability to, to, to learn and to be inspired from St. John Chrysostom. Until next time, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.